Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hey there, Six Packers, and welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode number seven. The vast majority of people in America, Catholics and non-Catholics alike, have bought into the conventional wisdom on how to rear children and the proper role of the wife and mother. I'm going to go against the grain of that wisdom, so some people listening are really going to get kind of angry with me. It's been my experience that any conventional wisdom dealing with families is right out of the bowels of hell and diametrically opposed to our holy and ancient faith. The reason conventional wisdom isn't compatible with Catholicism is because that conventional wisdom comes from the world and has an agenda that's a polar opposite of God's agenda. Yet we buy into it anyway because we've managed to allow God to be evicted from society and culture. In this episode, we're going to reject and ignore the conventional wisdom about how we should rear our kids and the role of wives and mothers. Instead, we're going to see what the church Jesus established had to say right after this. I've been sharing the faith with people for over 30 years. The Holy Spirit has used me to make hundreds of converts and 84 of them are my adult godchildren. When the Holy Spirit works through us in a big way, He usually uses the talents given to us before we were even born. When we develop those talents for Him, we're often impelled to pass on to others what we've done and how we've done it for the greater glory of God. That's why I wrote the Lay Evangelist Handbook. You might say the Lay Evangelist Handbook was 30 years in the making, because in this book I share with you all the best that I've learned about how to share the faith with laps and non-Catholics so you can bring your friends and family to the fullness of divinely revealed truth. The very first chapter gives you a thorough explanation of the things you need to do to maximize your effectiveness so you won't end up with egg on your face when trying to engage people. I explain the differences between the various types of lay evangelists and others you can learn from. I even talk about some statistics that should help give you a real sense of urgency for sharing the faith. Then I get to the step-by-step process for sharing the faith. I give a full presentation of the exact text I've used and refined for 30 years. I tell you what to do, what to say, and how to do and say it, while leaving room for you to work in your own personality and make these techniques your own. There's no other book like this on the market. So get your print or ebook copy of the Lay Evangelist Handbook today. It's available in print on cantankerouscatholic.com or in print and ebook on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. The one place in sacred scripture where God speaks to us about how Catholic families should be structured is found in St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I urge you to read what he had to say in the 5th and 6th chapters. We've pretty much exhausted what Paul tells us about husbands in the previous episodes, except for one thing. The beginning of the 6th chapter is addressed to children and fathers. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We notice, first of all, that children are addressed before fathers, and there's a reason for this. Paul understood that children, by nature and lack of maturity, tend towards selfishness and egocentricity. Therefore, they naturally won't obey parents without training, and that's why Paul then addresses fathers. He tells fathers the very best way to teach children is to rear them in the ways of God. Guess what? You can't rear your children in the ways of God if you aren't living His ways yourself. There's no such thing in parenting as do as I say, not as I do. This doesn't work with kids, and Paul understood that. This is why he admonishes fathers not to provoke their kids to anger. A child indeed may do as you say and not as you do, but he'll do so with resentment and a monster growing inside of him. You can always tell how a child is reared by observing how the teenager acts. Teens are naturally sullen and rebellious. Changing and raging hormones have a tendency to do that to teens. Still, have you ever noticed that some teens are publicly well-behaved and very respectful of those around them, particularly adults, while other teens make you feel like giving them a little baseball bat therapy? The teens needing baseball bat therapy have been reared with the do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do mentality on the parents' part. No matter what teens are taught growing up, they behave as if they were never taught a thing when the parents, especially dads, teach one thing but do another by example. And rearing children that way provokes them to anger. That's why you're sometimes tempted to think that no jury in the land would convict you if... Well, you get the picture. Children reared in this way don't bode well as adults. They have skewed or bad relationships with others, marriages that usually end in divorce if they bother marrying at all, and their own offspring are most assuredly going to be worse than they were. In worst-case scenarios, they end up as guests of the state by order of a judge replacing the name their parents gave them with a number. Speaking of that worst-case scenario, over 90% of people in prison come from single-parent families where the father wasn't anywhere around except on a part-time basis. Maybe. It's a proven fact in study after study that children reared in families with ever-present fathers who take an active role in parenting are far more balanced adults who live happier lives than those who are reared with fathers who are absent or fathers who leave the children to rear themselves or reared by the mother alone. So it behooves fathers to take an active role in parenting rather than being a buddy, assuming you want the best for your kids. Fathers need to begin assuming their rightful and morally duty-bound role in the rearing of their children. This means learning to say no. In today's world, it means learning to do that a lot. Just because your child wants something you can afford to give in no way means you have to give it to him or her. For example, more and more parents are giving their children smartphones. Yeah, yeah, I know the argument for a child having his own cell phone, and I actually agree. Public phones are a thing of the past, and you want your kids to be able to get in touch with you if the need arises. I get that. But smartphones? What's wrong with a plain flip phone? The problem with smartphones is that a parent can't monitor what the child's doing with that phone. 
Pre-adolescent viewing of pornography has reached epidemic proportions across the country, let alone the adolescent abuse of pornography. You might say, hey, my kid wouldn't do that. Really? How do you know? Just the other day I read an article about a 10-year-old boy whose parents said the very same thing, yet the little boy was charged with the sexual abuse of his pre-adolescent cousins. This is what happens when children aren't supervised in their activities, and it's impossible to supervise the use of a smartphone. Today's kids enter the adult world completely unprepared. Parents indulge their children to the point of turning them into self-indulgent snowflakes who expect no demand, their heart's desires. How do you turn that around? Well, by being a parent even when it's tough to do so. My father taught me two very important lessons in the 60s. The popular thing of that day was to own a minibike. You know, those small motorized two-wheelers that clowns at the Shriner Circus ride? All of my friends had them, and I wanted one. But Dad told me I'd never have a motorized two-wheel vehicle as long as I lived under his roof. So I decided I wanted a go-kart. Pop was in his easy chair one Saturday reading a magazine when I decided to ask him about it. I waited patiently about ten feet away for him to acknowledge my presence. He finally lowered the magazine and said, What's up, son? I replied, Well, since you won't let me have a minibike, can I have a go-kart? He said, Sure. Then to my disappointment, he began reading his magazine again. I just stood there. After a few moments, he lowered his magazine again and asked, Is there anything else? I'd been holding a big Sears catalog with a particular page mark. I opened it to show him the go-kart listed and said, This is the one I want, Dad. He asked, You expect me to buy it? I whined, Well, you told me I could have it. Dad laughed one of those kind of laughs that make a kid feel like he just asked the most stupid question in the annals of the Dumb Kids Hall of Fame, of which I was a reluctant member. Then he said, I told you that you could have a go-kart, not that I'd buy one for you. If you want a go-kart, either build it or earn the money to buy it yourself. My pop had a good point. He wanted me to learn the value of work and the value of money. I learned there was no such thing as a job that was beneath me. I was willing to do anything and often did. I actually had to earn my own money for what I wanted. I went door-to-door in my neighborhood offering to rake leaves or shovel snow. Sometimes I might have to work a couple of hours only to get paid a quarter. But the fact is, it was my quarter, a quarter I'd earned. I learned work is honorable, and I had a sense of pride in earning my own money. Perhaps this is something you may want to consider adding to your parenting tool belt. I did, and it worked out very well. Anyway, so Dad taught me a valuable lesson about the value of work and earning your own way. The other lesson he taught me, though, wasn't quite as personally rewarding. It took me at least a year to earn 10 or 15 bucks at a quarter a pop. I realized one day that at this rate I'd be old enough for a real car by the time I saved enough money to buy that go-kart. Recalling what Dad had told me, I decided it would be a lot cheaper and faster if I built my own go-kart. I went to the junkyard and spent most of my savings on an old go-kart frame with decent tires on it. After I got the frame home into the garage, I began trying to figure out how to find an engine. That's when I noticed Dad's riding lawnmower. It was after the mowing season, and I'd heard him tell Mom he really needed to buy a new one anyway. So it seemed perfectly logical to my 10-year-old mind that it would be okay to use that motor. 
A few days later, Dad came out to the garage to see what sort of progress I'd made. The reaction I got wasn't the one I was expecting. When Dad saw what must have been 10,000 parts strung across the floor, his facial expression told me I was facing impending doom. That was the worst whipping of my childhood. After Dad administered my attitude adjustment, he told me not to come in the house until I had his lawnmower put back together. With an aching butt, I did indeed put the lawnmower back together. Problem was, I had a coffee can full of parts that I couldn't figure out what to do with. I hid them. Well, until I could permanently dispose of them. Despite the whipping, I learned a great lesson about respect for the property of others and that shortcuts are very overrated. Back to a kid learning to earn his own money. As I got older, I did backbreaking work at a sawmill when I was 15. I worked as a stock boy and carryout in a grocery store when I was 14 until I was 16. I worked one summer when I was 12 picking up rocks in a pasture all day long from sunup to sunset. I even worked cleaning backed up sewer lines one summer. I had earned all the money I had and I'd worked hard for it. Because I worked hard for it, I was careful with how I spent it. I didn't just blow it. Best of all, I gained a lot of self-respect. I wasn't only proud of what I did, I came to realize there wasn't anything I couldn't do. That self-confidence and self-reliance has served me well throughout the years. My parents also taught me how to cook and sew when I was in grade school. They explained that they wouldn't always be around to do things for me, and I didn't know how to take care of myself. Dad taught me how to do preventive maintenance on a car when I was 10. He taught me to work on cars when I was 16. The point is, no matter what might come along in life, thanks to my parents, I either knew how to address the problem or I knew I could figure out anything I didn't already know. Your children can achieve that self-confidence and self-reliance too, but you have to be a dad that knows how to say no. Do your kids a favor. Make them work. Quit just handing your kids money. Don't give them every little thing they want. Put a halt to allowances now. Your kids won't like it right now, as I can tell you from experience, but one day they'll thank you, as I can also tell you from experience. Now let's talk about wives and mothers. If you ladies have enjoyed watching your husband squirm in this and previous episodes, well, the fun's over. Many of you won't like this installment at all, and I've no doubt I'll get a firestorm of emails. Don't worry about insulting or hurting me. I've been angering people with Catholic moral teaching for 30 years. I'm going to continue quoting from Ephesians, and what I quote most of you will try to deflect as passe, a violation of your woman's rights. But it was Christ's teaching in Paul's day and continues to be his teaching today. His teachings never change because God never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Therefore, his teachings must be the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's perfect. Perfection isn't capable of change. If perfection could change, it wasn't perfect in the first place. Now we're going to discuss the proper role of the wife. What I say here is a teaching of the church you won't hear anywhere else these days, but it's still the constant magisterial teaching of the Catholic Church. It's been Christ's teaching for 2,000 years. In Ephesians 5:22-24, we read, Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Wow, I can hear the weeping and gnashing of teeth now. Before you get yourselves too bent out of shape, though, hear what I say to see how this is balanced out. This admonition from Paul, first of all, presupposes that the husband is living the way Christ wants him to live as taught by the church. However, even if the husband isn't living as God demands, this admonition still applies. The way I wrote it in Secrets of the Catholic Faith is, A wife's special duties are to agree with her husband in everything that is not sinful and to be loving, devoted, and generously dedicated to her children and the care of her home. What this means is, a wife must agree with her husband in all that is not sinful, but this applies to family and spiritual matters, especially the latter, not the color of drapes in the living room or what peas to buy at the supermarket. For a little added perspective, consider this. A priest is subject to his bishop. A deacon is subject to both his bishop and the priest to whom he's assigned. A member of a religious order is subject to his or her religious superior. In all three cases, the respective person mentioned takes a vow of obedience. Asking God to be a witness to the truthfulness of what is being vowed, traditional wedding vows for a woman are to love, honor, and obey her husband. You may say that you didn't have obey included in your vows. Not having it specifically included in your vows in no way excludes you from the obligation to obey it in all that isn't sinful because it's God's teaching and your baptismal vows obligate you to believe everything the Holy Catholic Church teaches. The situation in modern society that causes people to reject this teaching is that we all, to some extent, have bought into the radical feminist ideology that women are equal to or better than men. This is an ideology straight from the bowels of hell. This ideology has essentially emasculated modern men, which in large part explains why men have abdicated their rightful role as head of the family. Men, before you get too giddy about the idea of your wives being subject to you, Paul has more to say to you about this. While subordination of the wife comes from the fact of creation in Genesis 2, 21 and 22, immediately after telling women they are subject to their husbands, Paul goes on to tell men that they are to love their wives as their own bodies in Ephesians 5:28, because a man who loves his wife loves himself. Modern society thinks this teaching is passe, as I said at the beginning of this episode. Our rejection of this very most basic family principle, though, has allowed every other deterioration of all things family. For example, selfishness in not having children and in disobedience to God's very first command to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1.28 couldn't be possible if this most basic principle were observed. Since the belief that a man is the head of the family, with all that it implies, causes a man to have a deeply caring mindset regarding the good of his family, children are reared to be respectful and well-disciplined, the allurements of the world take a backseat to a closely-knit bond in the nuclear unit, and the materialism so prevalent in society becomes non-existent within the family. Our Lady of Fatima told us that the last great spiritual battle would be for the family. The reason for that is obvious. Destroy the family and all of society is doomed. Society absolutely cannot exist without families. Is the family under attack today? 
same-sex marriage, transgenderism, premarital sex, practical and actual atheism, divorce, contraception, and cohabitation absent of marital commitment are all working in tandem to destroy the family at an alarming rate. But there's an answer to this problem. So here's a call to action for you. Men, it's time to make up your minds to obey God in all things as taught through the magisterial teaching of the church Christ established and assume your rightful responsibilities as head of your families. Ladies, it's time for you to renounce vanity and pride, learning to submit yourselves to the spiritual and temporal leadership of your husbands as God intends. There's a great deal of effort implied by these two calls to action, but if you'll humble yourselves and acknowledge God as the highest priority in your lives, everything else will fall into place. Oh yeah, that includes actually establishing a real relationship with Jesus by growing into a real prayer life, which we'll cover in future episodes if you tell me that's what you want. As I said at the beginning of this episode, I fully expect a firestorm of feedback from listeners. Believe me, your feedback is most welcome. You're cordially invited to engage in a friendly and respectful debate on these issues by going to cantankerouscatholic.com or joesixpackanswers.com. I'll usually get back to you within a matter of hours. What did Billy D. Williams The celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross. Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity. How the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Only a fool believes the Catholic Church isn't in shambles. Christ's church is full of scandal, our current pontiff is in blatant heresy, and the laity live in a perpetual state of confusion. But there's hope. There are still a handful of bishops we can count on for orthodox leadership, priests who love and work for souls, and laity-led apostolates that serve divinely revealed truth in every way imaginable. We want to do a great service for you by telling you about them in every episode. So here's today's Catholic Contribution. Founded in 1867, The Wander is the oldest independent Catholic newspaper in America. The Wanderer is willing to report things happening in the church that no other newspaper has the courage to expose. Almat Jr.'s lengthy tenure as publisher of The Wander coincided with the era of dissent following the close of the Second Vatican Council. The revision of the right of the sacrifice of the Mass ordered by Pope Paul VI after Vatican II created many divisions among Catholics. While the Wanderer did express some reservations about the extent and character of the reforms, it defended the authority of Paul VI over the liturgy. 
This dance led thousands of readers to end their subscriptions, and it wasn't the last time the Wanderer would lose subscriptions over a controversial editorial position. Also, under Al Matt Jr.'s leadership, the Wanderer has continually and forcefully defended Catholic teaching and discipline on marriage and the sanctity of life against the onslaught of critics, whether within or without the Church. Throughout the pontificates of John Paul II and Benedict XVI, the Wanderer has espoused those popes' magnificent teachings on these vital issues. The Wanderer today continues its role in the Catholic press under the current editorship of Peggy Moen. God willing, under the leadership of my friend and publisher Joseph Matt, the Wanderer newspaper and its faithful family of writers and readers will continue its role in substantial Catholic contributions. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. In the life of Queen Elizabeth of England, who has been falsely called Good Queen Bess, we read the following story. While out on a hunting trip one day, her party came upon a venerable old farmer working in his field. She soon discovered that the old gentleman was a fervent Catholic faithful to the old religion. At once the queen tried tactfully to win him over to the religion of her father, King Henry VIII. The old farmer listened attentively as she spoke, even nodding his head and smiling occasionally. And as she continued to speak, he thoughtfully stroked his rather full and impressive beard. The queen concluded by asking him, Well... Will you make up your mind to join us? The old man slowly shook his head from side to side, grasped his beard firmly in his right hand, and exclaimed, How can I join a religion that is younger than my own gray beard? Compared to the Catholic Church, all other Christian sects are young. None of them goes back to the time of Christ. Well did that farmer know that his church was 1,500 years older than the Anglican or any other church. The Catholic Church is apostolic because she holds the teachings and traditions of the apostles. I'll see you next time, Six Packers. And remember, comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.